Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Uh, idea in physics, researchers have discovered a law called the principle of least action. The principle states that the path followed between any two points will always be the path requiring the least amount of energy. Okay? So let me just give you a simple concept. If I had a baseball in my hand and I tossed it up, it's going to take the energy from my toss and then the energy of gravity pulling it back down and it's only going to go up and down. Okay? It's not going to zoom back there to Ray. It's not going to zoom over here to this window and then that window because that would take a whole lot of energy. It's going to just take the law of least amount of energy. Or, how many of you have ever seen The Price is Right? I watched that as a kid at 10 a.m. on Saturdays while my mom did clarinet lessons in the other room. And I remember there was a game called, I think it was called Plunko. Is that it? Right? And the idea is you drop this little, you know, circular disc into this thing and it would drop and it would bounce down. And depending on where it landed is whether you got a new car or you got a new stove or something. Right? You, you, you know? And the idea is, is that disc bouncing down, it's not going to start bouncing up. It's not going to start bouncing, you know, the hardest path. It's going to just follow the path of least amount of energy to where it's going to go. Or if you dropped a baseball at the top of a mountain, it's going to roll the easiest way to get to the bottom. Okay? Y'all with me? All right. So, humans, I think you can imagine that we are wired similarly. And uh, psychiatrists, sociologists, they've actually called humans the exact same thing. They have stated that with humans, we also have a principle, a law called the principle of least effort. That when humans are faced with two similar options, people will gravitate toward the path that requires the least amount of work. So let's use some examples. I'll give you a few examples. First, how many of you feel like sometimes when you're really tired coming home from a really hard day of work, you just want to get takeout food? You don't want to have to cook something. You don't, you've been on a long trip. You've been on vacation when you're supposed to be resting and you're traveling back. And you're just like, let's just get Chinese, okay? Let's just get some food. Why? Because the law of least effort says, you know what, it's just going to be a lot easier just to pick something up. I even, uh, you know, I think about with Catherine and I, sometimes the reason we don't go eat at a restaurant is because it would take more effort with our three kids, right? You think, like, oh, you know, going to a restaurant, that's less effort, not with three little kids. It's like, okay, well, we got to get them in the car. we got to drive them there. we got to deal with the, he took my stuff. Oh, I need my water bottle. Mom, I need this. All the way there. And then when you get there, it's the, you know, having them all sit. No, 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 wait. Put down the mat. No, Marshall, no more chips and salsa. You know, okay. All of that. And by the time you go through all of it, you know what? It would just be easier if we just stay home and make, you know, something here. Okay? Right? Law of least effort. Another example, how many of you, if you've ever worked on a project, you've been working on a project and you've just said to yourself, I know what I'm trying to do here and I know that this tool is technically supposed to do this, but there has got to be a better way to do this. There has got to be a tool that will make this project easier. I can't tell you the number of times where I've done something, been proud to tell my dad, hey, I got this thing worked on, I got it finished, and he's like, well, why didn't you just do this? It would have been really easy if you had just used this. And if, if we have the awareness that we have a chainsaw or we have a pole saw, and if the chainsaw will reach it, no person is ever going to go, you know what, I'm going to do the pole saw. I'm going to get the chainsaw out. 
Now, if I'm out of you know, chain oil or out of gasoline or whatever, and I have to drive to get that at Ace, and then drive to get this, at, then before you know it, it's like, you know what, it'd just be easier to saw it by hand. Because the law of least effort is what we're going to tend to do. By the way, another way you see this is that a lot of times it takes a lot of effort to interact with a stranger that you've never met at the doctor's office. But you know what takes no effort? Sitting and looking at your phone. And there's a whole lot of people that you think, man, this generation, I can't believe they all are on their phone all the time. It's not because they're anything different. It's because for all of history, most people have taken the easier path. And just looking at your phone instead of trying to be friendly to a neighbor is a lot easier. Okay? So... The point that we often miss, I'm going to go back one slide to keep it here. The point that we often miss is this, that we think if our life was easier, it would be a better life. And in my opinion, that is the wrong point. I once had an intern, her name was Sydney. I remember her saying, she said, you know, I used to believe that because God loves me, God wants what's best for me. By the way, I believe those are true. And so... In that sense, if something painful or difficult was on my path, then I thought because God would want what's best for me, I should go the other way because God wouldn't want me to go through that difficult or hard path. If your view of life is that the easier life is the better life, then that is true. But I believe we have missed that point. We think that the life of least resistance or energy is better, and I do not believe this is true. I believe that the Bible demonstrates how this idea misses the point and how the life that has a costly path is the better life. And this idea, the first place that this came to mind for me was when I finished reading a book that I really enjoyed by Daniel James Brown called The Boys in the Boat. Now, I saw that there was a movie coming out called The Boys in the Boat, and I often listen to audiobooks on Audible, and it had been recommended to me over and over. You should, based on your readings, you might like The Boys in the Boat. And when I saw a movie was coming out, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll listen to the book. I loved the book. I, could, I would argue it was either, it's either my top one or two favorite audiobooks I've ever listened to. I haven't seen the movie, and my dad, he read the book too, and he said, the movie's good, but it's not near as good as the book. You know, we all know how that goes. Um, but the reason why this came to mind for me, if you're not familiar, The Boys in the Boat is based on the 1936 men's rowing team that won the Olympic gold in Berlin. Sorry for the spoiler. It's on the cover of the book, okay? So uh, if you feel like I spoiled it, it's literally on the book. Okay, but there's this character who's probably the main character. His name is Joe Rance. And this is a little brief timeline of his story. Sorry, you know, to give anything away, but it's just, I'm not giving into too many details. But when he was a child, his mother died, and he was sent off to live with his aunt. And then whenever he got old enough to be back with his, his dad, his new mom, his stepmom, did not want him and gave his father an ultimatum. You either have to choose to stay married to me, or you have to choose to keep your son Joe around. And one day he came home and his dad and the other siblings were loaded up in the car. And he said, Dad, what's going on? And he said, Son, you're going to be okay. And he got in the car with his new, the new wife and they drove off and left his son there at the house. This was also during the Great Depression. But eventually Joe was able to get to a point where the coach of the University of Washington rowing team thought, This guy might have something. You, if you come to UW, you can maybe come row for me. So he goes to the University of Washington. He lives in the downstairs of the YMCA because he's the janitor there at night to pay to go to school. He talks about how him and his girlfriend, whenever they wanted to go on a date, they'd go to the school cafeteria and he'd take ketchup and they'd mix water with it and call it soup as a way of feeding themselves. And then all these things build up to the point where he and his 
crew are able to go and they win Olympic gold in Berlin versus with, with Adolf Hitler watching. And one of the themes of the book is how these, this group of ordinary boys, who many of whom came from similar situations of living through the Great Depression, how these were the ordinary men that would very soon in World War II be the reason why the Nazi party didn't prevail. Just these regular guys, these normal people. And whenever I read this book, by the way, I, as you read it, you kind of go, yeah, the fact that these guys are called the greatest generation is very warranted. But when you read the book, I do, I think to myself, I want to be like this man. I want to have this kind of character, and I want to be the quality of man that this guy is. And I want my children to be the quality of people that these people are. How am I, how am I going to be able to do that? And the crazy thing is, is that the answer is that these men and women were forged in a crucible of an incredibly difficult life. And I would never wish for any of us to go through the Great Depression again. I would never wish for any of us to go through the Dust Bowl again. I would never wish those things on us, but yet those were the very things that created the environment that created these incredible men. Are you following me? And so, I believe that this is where I began to feel this question in my heart and my life of, all along, we live our life doing everything we can to avoid difficulty, and we can't wait for the day, the glorious day where we can retire and have that easy life. And what if that is missing the point of what Jesus has in mind for us all along? Now let's look in the Bible and let's talk about how this is biblical. The first place, I'm not going to stay there long, but the first place we see this, as with everything else, is in Genesis 1 and 2. We see God, when He creates Adam and Eve, He tells them, I am putting you here to work and to serve. Before any evil or wrong has happened in the world, before Adam and Eve have taken one bite of the fruit, they have been given a task by God to work and it is not something that's like, oh, well, you know, when things were perfect, they didn't work. They just walked around and ate fruit and, you know, named animals. No, they were working as God gave them that commission. Work was part of their God-designed and God-ordained purpose. And we saw in Adam and Eve that in a perfect setting, we work, but we don't work for money. We don't work for status. We don't work because that's just what you're supposed to do. We don't work for security. We work from our God-given ordination to bring order and rule and to bear fruit here on earth. Okay? Of course, we're going to see the culmination of this truth about work and a hard, toilsome life when we look at the life of Jesus. I'm going to ask this question again later, but I'm going to ask it here first. Did Jesus have a good life? I want you to think about that. If someone asked you, Hey, did Jesus have a good life? I want you to think what you would answer that question. In Jesus, we see over and over the reality of the harder path, the narrow road, the costly way of living. And there's probably not a better example than we, when we look at Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. I'm not going to get into all the semantics about why this word hate sounds so strong. Just think of maybe, if you want to, a healthy substitution for our understanding is to such substitute the word prioritize. Anyone who doesn't prioritize me over his father and mother, over his wife and children, over his brothers and sisters, or even over his own life, cannot, not won't be a good disciple, will do a bad job, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? We don't build towers anymore, or not any of us in here, but we know this, we know all about this. Before we decide whether or not we're, we're going to do something, we're going to sit through and go, can we really do this? Is this something we can do? Before we're going to get chickens and a chicken run and a chicken coop, can we afford it? Do we, well, we're going to have to get somebody to watch the chickens every time we go out of town. Well, we're going to have to, whenever it's freezing outside, we're going to have to do some. Count the costs before you do any of your projects. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king at war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with his 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? In that situation, that would be one of those like, Okay, I'm going to have to go out there and ask for a truce. And by the way, in war, whoever asks for the truth first is the one that's going to get the raw end of the deal. Always. It's like, you have zero leverage. Hey, uh, I think we ought to, you know, settle for this. And the other person kind of goes, no, I think we should settle for this. You can't come back and go, well, I disagree. It's like, okay, well, then let's fight with your (laughs) 10,000. And I'll fight with my 20,000. Like, okay, that's fair. All right, we'll do what you say. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks them for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We see here, and and we see Jesus is not trying to tell people, don't be a disciple. He's not going, hey, y'all, if I were you, I would not do it. (laughs) He's not saying that. He's not going, you know, when you really think about it, it's not worth it to be a disciple. You shouldn't follow me. But what he is saying is, you got to think about the cost that this is going to take to follow me. There is a cost to following Jesus. It is difficult. If your family is against you following Jesus, which many of these people listening, their family would have been against this, it will cost you your family. It will cost you your life. You must deny yourself. You will bear a cross, a heavy price. This is not a path of least effort or least action. It is not difficult because it requires Herculean strength or the genius of Einstein. All of us are capable of this, but most of us don't want to. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew says, Narrow and difficult is the path that leads to life, and few will find it. And wide and steep is the way that leads to death, and many will find it. Jesus is not saying that few are going to find the narrow path because it's impossible or because he has ordained that they won't or because of any of these reasons. He's saying they're not going to because we live by the law of least effort. And the law of least effort does not like a narrow, difficult path. And on the other hand, Jesus doesn't say wide and smooth is the path of destruction because he can't wait for people to go down to destruction. If he, if he was like that, he wouldn't have come and loved us and died on the cross for us. What he's saying is, is it's the easiest path. And people choose the easiest path time and time again. When we follow Jesus, we see the hard roads, we see the difficult paths, the costly way of living as a means to maturity in Christ. As a means to become the version of ourselves God has made us to be. Whenever we see the world as the best life is the law of least effort, we do not see any of the costly, hard things as something we in any way want to associate with. But as you're going to see with what we're about to read, for Paul, Paul had walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus and seen people following Jesus enough, and the 
difficulties that they went to, that he came to this place when he realized, you know what? As crazy as it sounds, I'm starting to see the tribulations, the trials, the hard roads, the costly things of living, not as a problem, but as a means to maturity in Christ. Paul doesn't mind the hard path because his goal in life, which I would like my goal in life to be also, is to present everyone fully mature in Christ. In Colossians, in Colossians he says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy, all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. My goal as Paul is to get y'all to become complete in Christ. And if hard paths are part of that, praise God. So let's read what he says in Romans 5, starting in the second half of verse 2. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 1 Peter chapter 1. This isn't Paul, but it's another writing. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. I like how he kind of says it. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I am not trying to tell you that I hope bad things happen to you. I'm not trying to say that. And I'm not trying to tell you that when bad things happen, you should go, yippee, I'm so glad. What I am trying to tell you, though, is that the life of Jesus is not exempt from hard things, and the life of Jesus also teaches us that when the hard things come, we can see it from the standpoint of, I'm so glad God has given me a chance to become more complete in Him in this opportunity. My hope today is that you don't miss the point. We think easy is better, and it isn't. Mature in Christ is better. Following Jesus is better. The narrow road is better. We have a choice to either run from the cost or toward it. One of the most important things about this phrase, to count the cost of Jesus, when he tells them to count the cost, is to remember this. Counting the cost is a two-way street. Drew, what do you mean by that? Counting the cost is a double-edged sword. Following Jesus has a cost. The cost is to deny yourself, to lose, to hate your family, to hate anything that you would put over God, to carry your cross, to follow Jesus, to forfeit yourself, to obedience and discipline. That is the cost of following Jesus. But not following Jesus has a cost too. And I'm not just talking about after you die. I'm talking about the cost here in the present. Josh Graves is a preacher that I listen to weekly. He's a preacher in Nashville at a church called Otter Creek Church. And he said this in a sermon recently, and I had to make a note of it. He, I kind of tweaked it a little bit to connect it with the idea of cost, but I still kept most of what he said. I think, Josh, if you're listening, I, I think I stayed true to what he said. He's not listening, by the way. <laughs> Wisdom from the Bible and life teaches us the invitation to choose the hard we want. Choose the costliness we want. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your hard. Obesity has a cost. Being in shape has a cost. Choose your cost. Being in debt is hard. 
Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your hard. Communicating has a cost. Not communicating has a cost. Choose your cost. Teaching kids in Sunday school is hard. Not teaching in Sunday, kids in Sunday school has a cost too. Choose your cost. Interacting with your children is hard. iPads and TVs are easy. Both have a cost. Choose your cost. Waiting until marriage to have sex is hard. Having sex before marriage is hard. Choose your hard. Being a good neighbor is hard. Not being a good neighbor is hard. Choose your hard. Sitting on the bench is hard. Quitting the team is hard. Choose your hard. Life will never be easy. In this world, you will have trouble. It will always be hard. We always have a choice of the path we want. Choose wisely. Now let me take this quote from James Clear, an author. I think he wrote Atomic Habits. Strangely, life gets harder when you try to make it easy. Exercising might be hard, but never moving makes life harder. Uncomfortable conversations are hard, but avoiding every conflict is harder. Mastering your craft is hard, but having no skills is harder. Easy has a cost. Let me use one of my favorite sermon illustrations to reference uh, this idea. I've told y'all before about Wilderness Trek, probably one of the most influential things I ever did with the students when I was a youth minister. If you don't remember what exactly this is, it's a Christian-based group out of Colorado that takes youth groups on these backpacking trips up a mountain and during the trip tries to teach them spiritual training, disciplines, things that will help them as they're going on this path. It's a six, ours was a six-day hike up a mountain in Colorado and you literally are living from your backpack. I still remember getting out of the van with all the kids where you parked your van and us getting our packs on and they're 70 to 85 pound packs and seeing the look in the eyes of the students who were the sophomore girls or some of the some of the smaller people going I really messed up (laughs) I should have counted the cost of how much this is going to be painful. I remember we were walking. We had been five minutes down the road when one of the girls in the group was in the back with me and uh, one of the leaders just crying. I mean, five minutes down the path. And I remember her saying, I knew I was going to be the one holding everyone up. I knew I was going to be in the back. And the adult leader with me, he was like, I'm not just back here for you. (laughs) He was like, this is hard for me too. And guess what? That girl, by the end of the trip, learned that she has more in her than she ever thought she had. There's so many lessons. But one of the things that I remember, too, is I remember that whenever we got to the summit, here's a picture from the summit for some of the boys in my youth group and one of the leaders. I I wish I could just go through picture after picture. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And this picture doesn't even do justice. I mean, does not do justice. But if I texted every single, because I, I did this before for a sermon illustration, If I texted every single person in that group, all the guys and all the girls, what was your favorite part? The journey or the summit? Every single one of them will tell you, if I had to pick one, I would pick the journey. The summit was beautiful. The summit was amazing. But they would all refer back to the journey as the thing that they they would hold on to. And here is, in my opinion, the truth of that. The journey, it is less if you don't have the summit day. The summit day is great. But the summit is nothing without the journey. If we had gotten in a car and drove up that mountain and gotten out, they would have all gone, this is beautiful, this is cool, thanks Drew, and we would have left. But the reason why the journey is more important is because it is in the journey that we become something more. 
And I can tell you, for every single one of us, that trek costs us something. For those of us who had a fear of heights, it cost my humility. The number of times the kids had to wait on summit day for me because I couldn't keep going. Guys, I'm sorry. I just need to take a second. I'm about to have a panic attack. Or for the girls who said, you're telling me I have to take this shovel and go over there and dig a hole to go to the bathroom and I don't even get to put the toilet paper in the ground. I've got to keep the toilet paper for six days so that I don't litter in the national forest. It cost them something. Okay? It cost all of us something. And yet, all of us would say that the cost of the journey is the thing that made the summit that much more beautiful, that much more life-changing and a difference in our lives. The trip cost all of us. It took a toll on all of our bodies and our minds and our comfort zones. There were a lot of breakdowns, but the costly road is the thing that changed our lives. So this is my challenge to you. I implore you, on behalf of Christ, please do not get this confused. The best version of life is not the easier one. Did Jesus have a good life? I asked you this earlier. If the easier life is the best life, then he did not have a good life. But if fellowship with God and maturity in Christ is the best life, then I believe Jesus had one fantastic life. Which life will you choose? Which costs will you pursue? And which costs will you run from? And I have one last thing i got to say, because uh, it, it would be a whole other sermon, but I'm, I'm not going to do this other sermon, so I'm going to just tease it here. The whole second summer sermon would focus around this. It's very crucial. Not only of this is this costly life, this harder, narrow path, better for you, but think about where the world would be if men and women had not taken the harder path for the sake of others. Yes, I believe the harder path is good for your life. But think about what it means for the world that people were deciding, decided to go, you know what, there's a path of least resistance and least effort, and there's this path, and I'm going to choose this one in the way that that path has changed the lives of millions of people. Abraham Lincoln did not have to do what he did, but he chose the path that would be the harder path. People who hid Jewish families during World War II could have easily not done that, but they didn't. Rosa Parks could have easily sat in the back, but she didn't. Martin Luther King Jr. many times was like, why did I choose this path? It even led to him losing his life, but he didn't. First responders, police officers, firefighters, I even think of the first responders at 9-11, they could have said, no thanks, but they chose the costly path. School teachers, over and over, you are going to have more students growing up going, I'm not going to be a school teacher. Do you see how much money they make? If life is better and easier is the better life, there's going to be far less school teachers. If the costly life is what you care about, there's going to be more school teachers and the ones that we want. Families who choose to adopt or foster children, that is not the law of least effort. Teenagers who decide to befriend the poor kid at school, that is not the law of least effort. And, of course, the ultimate example. I believe Jesus Christ did have a choice of whether or not he was going to go through the cross or not. I don't believe he got there to the garden. He was like, all right, God, I'm out. And then a force grabbed him and forced him to go onto the cross. But thankfully, he chose to say, I'm going to choose the costly road. And we are all changed because of it. The costly life is the better life for you and for the world. If any of you would like to learn more about Jesus' costly life being the reason that we have life, 
I'd encourage you to come talk to any of us or, or during this week. We'd love to talk to you while we stand and while we sing this song.